A quick warning, there are curse words that are unbeeped in this episode of the show. Hey guys, at ECM Circa 95, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail or a shout out at 715-255-0035 or send us an email at ecmcirca95 at gmail. Thanks for listening. So, Hoban, you see those uh, emails we got? Well, I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the subject uh, on leggings. I saw emails from Kelly Warner and Nate Wittenberg. Not- <laughs> Before reading them, I assumed that they were aligning with me and letting you know that there is no following. You would think. Uh, that's, right? what I, that's what I thought. And then I read them and I thought, wow, I am... I am clueless. I'm missing the boat. <laughs> Are you going to get a pair now? I, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> so, so far, we're at three people. I'll maybe wait a little bit. As I said, I'm, I'm not really a fashion trendsetter. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of sit tight, I think, for a bit. <laughs> so the, the score is three to one right now. Yeah. And and these are, these are these are both like macho man athletes. I mean, yeah, Kelly Warner, like player, you don't get more macho yeah. than Kelly and and Wittenberg was a hockey player, you hockey, know, baseball. Yep. Kelly, of course. Yeah. No, so, that's, uh, that's legit. That's, I mean, that's credible. <laughs> team, team tights is a bit divided. It's about right. a bit of a house divided right now right. on team tights. Kelly Warner, he said that he likes to wear shorts over the tights. Yes, I did see that. I think in, that was certainly in public. I think yeah. I'm not sure about in the privacy of his own home. Wittenberg said he started off that way and then he just realized it's stupid to wear an extra layer. So he took that extra layer off and he's fine with it. And right. Right. That's, you know, I kind of lean that way um, because I think it kind of looks goofy wearing shorts. I don't know. On me anyway, my legs are short. You know, if I got shorts on with leggings for me, it looks kind of goofy. So, (laughs) right. (laughs) And I mean, I certainly acknowledge, I'm sure they're extremely comfortable. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that, uh, that, that, that the leggings, uh, leggings movement has expanded. Now we've got, uh, three of us who are out there supporting them, um, more, you know, anyone else wants to join in on this, uh, shoot us an email, uh, send us a voicemail, what you think about the leggings and, uh, maybe and, we'll all be wearing them at the next reunion. You know, there we go. Our next guest comes straight out of Silicon Valley. This guy has got an amazing career. He's been working for Intel. Uh, Now he's doing his own thing, living the dream on the coast of California, blocks from the beach. Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for the one and only Andy Spitz. computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. Andy Spix, my God. Hello, Kevin Gurl. How are you? You are conversing with the Andy Spix 3000. I am an artificial intelligence system. I am uh, living the dream, buddy. Mr. Hoban is on the on the line now, too. Hello, Andrew Hoban. How are you doing? Good, good. How about you, Andy? Fantastic. As Kevin Gurl said, I, too, am living the dream. It's another gorgeous day in paradise out here. I can't complain about that. I'm doing well. How long has it been since you and I have chatted? We have never chatted, Kevin Girl. This is our first time conversing. You must be referring to my creator, Mr. Andy Spix. I will now hand over this interview task to him. Thank you, Boiter and Smoke Show Hobren, for this opportunity. <laughs> I think we last spoke at the, was that the 10 year reunion? Something like that? Or I think maybe. Did you? Okay. So did you go to the 20 year reunion? I don't think I did. Remind me where the 20 year reunion was. Was that it? It was in Eau Claire. It was. Hoban, do you remember the name of the golf course I think it was on? I, I think it was at Hickory. I wasn't there, but I think it was at Hickory Hills. 
maybe i wish i wish my memory was as good as uh, as it was when i was 15 yeah uh, where right. i knew everything back then and now i just you know i just don't my phone knows everything yeah right. we don't need to know we don't need to know it anymore <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly right because uh, um, i i remember you and i kind of touching base prior to the uh re- the 20 year reunion uh via okay. facebook and we chatted like, about possibly getting a D&D game together during that reunion. Oh, did we? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. How relevant. <laughs> yeah. So, so bizarrely, um, yeah. uh, we go to the reunion. And mm-hmm. I, this is why I want to know if you were there. Because I took maybe like three laps just purposely looking for you. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I didn't see you. So I assumed oh. you weren't there. I'm flattered. Later, um, yeah. <laughs> later, later that that night, uh, we all went out to a bar in Altoona, and I was telling Kevin McCarthy how bummed I was that I didn't get to see Andy Spix, and he's like, well, "Andy Spix was there." I'm like, "No, he wasn't. No, no, he was not there." And he's like, "No, I, I think he was there." I, I, Kevin was like, "I talked to him." I'm like, "So I'm like, you know, I put that off in the back of my mind, and I remember being bummed. Like, I can't believe I missed you because I." specifically walked around that party looking for you several times and then it wasn't until maybe a week or so ago that i was doing some andy spicks research because you had agreed (laughs) to do this interview and i'm going through your facebook page and looking at pictures that you've been tagged in and Mm -hmm. i'm like well no shit I was looking for the 1990s Andy Spix, and, <laughs> and this yeah. and the new the new uh, 2000 plus Andy Spix is a smoke show. And oh, I was well, like, "What's you. going on?" Like, like, flattery will get you some places. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just shocked. You know, you you got in shape. You got a haircut. No more full face 1990s glasses. I didn't recognize you. I, I blame my wife Anna. She um, she was good. Uh, love, <laughs> very, yeah, very love good of a good woman and a little makeover from her is, uh, right uh, goes a long way. Right. Oh, she um, she to this day um, just uh, continues to remind me the value of exercise and taking care of yourself. So yeah. I mean that's kind of her thing. I got um, I got LASIK in the uh, you know I, I don't know probably around two thousand two thousand one. And it, it was a miracle. I, 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 that's the closest to a religious experience I've ever had. You, you go to bed basically blind after the surgery for eight to 12 hours because you've got to wear all these masks and be very careful. And you, you're used to like getting up in the middle of the night when you've got vision as bad as I had, just kind of stumbling around, looking for your glasses, can't get, figure out what the heck is going on. You find them and you can see. Well, after LASIK, I woke up, I stumbled around, I was starting to look for my glasses, and I realized I didn't need them. I could just see. And it was, it was like I said, as close to a re- true religious experience as I've ever had. It was just such a transformative thing. And so yeah, now I wear these little, like, you know, almost like reader corrective stuff, because I stare at computers a lot. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's nice. Uh, modern medicine, gotta love it. How long ago did you get Lasix? Yeah, it's going to be uh, you know, like twenty, at least twenty years or so. Twenty, you know, twenty, twenty-two years, something like that. It was, it was pretty much a present to myself right when I started work at Intel. I actually got a, you know, they hired me. They give you a little signing bonus and a moving, you know, allowance, and I just took half of that money, set aside. I'm getting the surgery, and that was my thing. So yeah, that was that was awesome. That's that's something I've been kind of thinking about. Mine has slowly deteriorated. Has been deteriorating my distance. Uh, my close up is fine, but my distance is just really shot. I was, I was out with a friend in their thirties, you know, pre just a little bit before the whole COVID outbreak. And we were looking at a sign and I'm like, Oh, I can't read that. And he's like, you're kidding me. <laughs> like, No, you can. And he not only read the big letters, he read the little letters underneath it. It's like, uh Oh <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I was, I was blind in school and I, yeah, you're right. I had those Coke bottles. I remember they were, they, they changed color too, right? The tinted, they, they were, the tinted, the yeah. Dark ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I was a sexy beast. <laughs> so when you get LASIK, is it one and done or do you need a tune up every once in a while? Um, for me, it lasted about uh, 10 to 15 years before I started to need very minor correction. And they offered uh, the, the, the clinic where I had it done had this sort of guarantee that if you need a tune up, um, you can come back in and for a very nominal fee, they'll they'll do a corrective on you. The, the process is a little bit, you know, I mean, it's unsettling. Somebody's cutting your eyeball open. And, and right. You about that, you're like, well, you know, I, I already went from blind to basically 2020. What's 2025 among friends? You know, why am I going to take my chances going under the knife to, that feels greedy. Yeah, you know, right, you right. won the lottery, you know, let's, let, let's stick with that. And, yeah. and so I, like I said, I wear like these little minor corrective stuff, mostly for staring at computer screens now. It's not perfect. Some people have rings uh, when you are uh, driving at night or something, you'll see like yeah. uh, halos. Uh, but I think that over time, your eyes kind of start to correct those. I may have had some of that early on, but I don't really notice it um, any, any, any at all since. And like I said, it's just... It's such an amazing transformation that it feels greedy to ask for more. Right. If right. there's if there's a something that's not slightly perfect, it's still way right. better than it was. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I like like origin, like meeting stories in these interviews. And, I, and, and mm -hmm. when you and I first met and, and hung out there for a while, do you remember? Okay, there's three things that you and I really had in common um, that kind of brought us together. And I'll give you two. I want to see if you remember the third. Uh -oh. The first would be video games. <laughs> sure. The second would be D Dungeons and Dragons. Uh oh. Okay. And then there, there was a third thing that brought us. I around. remember you lived about one street over from me. Yeah. Um, yep. And I um I remember your your brother running Matt. some D and D game. Yeah, Matt running yeah. some D and D games for us. True. Um. And now you're just asking me to dredge something up that's not in my phone, so I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> You can't look that up. Uh, so, so you and I both possessed uh, a love for those little caramel candy bars that the choir kids used to sell. Oh, to good, oh yeah. Oh, those things were amazing. They were amazing. <laughs> so a Andy had like basically unlimited lunch funds. Uh, he, 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 was, he had like the lunch money that any kid would be super happy to have that, that allowance for lunch money. And I remember it must have been like, you know, maybe you saved it up for a couple of weeks and you bought the whole box from. These yeah, <laughs> I liked to do that sort of thing. I realized in later in life that I was sort of a showboating little kid around things like that. But yeah, I did. I certainly did. And we sat, <laughs> we sat down and played Dungeons and Dragons and ate that whole box of caramel. Oh, God. oh I'm so sick. But yes, it was fantastic. <laughs> you that D&D game, you, yeah. you know. You you see my Facebook avatar right now, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that drawing is Xenon the Third from our original D and D games. That's that Nate I... Legal Nate Legal did as a not a commission, but just as a fun thing for me, and I love it. I found it. I don't know five, 10 years ago and scanned them all in and said it is my Facebook profile pic and I've never changed it. It's it's there forever. So <laughs> that's awesome. How's Nate doing? Uh, he's pretty good. I. Uh, I um I still see or I don't see I still talk to him and um, Dave Garber, Mike Martinez, and Chris Martins on occasion. We actually I Mike Martinez runs a Dungeons and Dragons game, and that is one of the um, one of the silver linings of the COVID era for me is that for I don't know five years we've been talking about oh we should do a reunion go have a like a guys thing go find a cabin and you know hang out on the lake and play D and D and games and just whatever, get back together. Yeah. And it's year after year. It just doesn't happen. doesn't happen. COVID happens. And now everybody's trapped at home and everybody can't really socialize. I'm like, you know what? Let's go find one of these online services and play D and D together online. And that started up, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And it's, it's great. I've reconnected with all these, these buddies of mine that I might've talked to once a year. Now, you know, every couple of weeks we, we hang out for a few hours and, uh, you know, play pretend it's, it's, it's fun. That's perfect. Um, hence, yeah. 
Hence ECM circa 95. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, hey, before we get too far, I wanted to throw some props your way. I, I heard the legging story yes. on the last, uh, the last podcast. And I was like thinking to myself, you know, he's totally right. I probably have those exact same Under Armour ski pants or Fear whatever you want to call them. I am a total fan. And like there, you, you you go out on the slopes for a day and you've got like your thermals on and um, you come back home. You're, you're cold, you're tired, you're wet. You kind of strip off all the external gear and find your beverage of choice, coffee, beer, whatever, something. And you, you got to take your socks off. Ski socks suck. But anyway, um, but you're just kind of hanging out in your, your, your leggings and whatever else. And it is the most relaxing, comfortable time. Uh, and so, I'm with you, man. Don't let people gatekeep those. There, so you're you're not going to believe this, but you are now the third guy from the class. So that's three to zero, Holden. <laughs> I I had no idea I was uh, way off on this and completely missing out because Nate Wittenberg that's... and Kelly Warner both emailed and said basically Holden doesn't know what he's talking about. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> So now it's three nothing. Now, now right, the, right, the, exactly. you said it was going to be a small movement. I think this is not, into there are a dozens, revolution. Dozens. <laughs> right. It's definitely gathering uh, steam for sure. Snowballing fast. <laughs> right. Uh, so you you are still playing D and D then? That's pretty. That's exciting. I I, I wasn't. I, I actually was playing video games mostly with time when i was trapped um but uh like i said we'd been we'd been talking about it and um just kind of like it was be a uh i don't know call it a reunion nostalgia thing be fun to do and it happened and now i'm i am and i'm enjoying it yeah it's uh i guess it's kind of a, a popular cultural resurgence these days too with um what's the what's the show uh critical role i think is this whole youtube podcast all about it that um that people have a a, a huge a fan base for so, so I yeah heard. i'll check that out right. do you remember the the mac that your dad had that we used to play on at your house i do oh that little was it was it a 2gs or a 2e i don't know mine, the mine was great. a 2gs yours was yeah. yours was actually uh it was a mac because the the apple twos weren't macs they were apples yeah it was a mac you're right yeah so it was a mac um it was black uh, and I, white yeah, a built-in screen uh, and 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 disk drive in like this little I don't, know, it like a little cube, uh, probably about the size of one of the new Xboxes, and yeah. something like that. And you could get online with it. I remember you're the like at your at your dad's house. You and I getting online. That was the first time. You must be the first person I knew with an email address. Uh yeah, probably. That sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, I um. I, I didn't really understand what it was or just nobody understood what it would become or, or no. it would be then. but it was, it was like, I, like many things from my father is like, well, this is neat and weird. And he was very excited by it, but dad, I don't know what, where you're going. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then you, you brought, you brought that excitement to me. This is like 87 or 88. And you, I remember you bringing that excitement to me, but you didn't really know how to explain what was why it was exciting. I think it was I think it was some program called Hypertext. It was like this first like browsing through web stuff. I I was old. It was it was the dark magics, old magics. Um, yeah. Your dad was was he with Cray or SSI? One of those two. Yeah, he was, and and that's that. He was um he was at S he was at Cray. And um, and they were working on some supercomputer, the project that got canceled. And like many things tech, you know, your project gets canceled and some engineers decide, no, no, we want to do that. And so he went off with Steve Chen and a couple others and they founded SSI. And, uh, and so that's why was where we were in Eau Claire. And SSI is also why I left Eau Claire after my sophomore year, because they went out of business. And yeah. suddenly I was like, well, um, uh, dad's moving to Seattle to go to Microsoft. I guess I'm going to Seattle, which, uh, yeah, that was, yeah, I don't know. 16. Oh, too, too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, well, you know, explaining to a 16 year old that he's going to leave all his friends behind yeah. and go to a new high school is kind of a bummer. Yeah. I can imagine he wasn't too thrilled by it, but we have yeah, that in common. 
we yeah. had that in common. I left, I left after junior year. So yeah, you know, that, oh. that was not easy at all. Right. Oh, so, so actually I never, I never knew that. Yeah, it was rough though. So how, how was uh, Seattle for you? I ended up loving Seattle while I was there, but um, the first uh, few months were, were weird because I went, I ended up going to um, a high school there for, um, well, basically planning to try and graduate early because, um, I had been on kind of this fast track at uh, at Memorial and was planning to just kind of carry it out. And they told me they wouldn't let me graduate early because I needed four years of Washington State history and four years of physical education to graduate oh. from a Washington yeah. school. And I, I was crushed. I was oh. like, what the, what the hell? This is... <laughs> anyway, I'm going to try and keep it family friendly. But I was abused by the idea of like leaving everything behind. And then like my world was torn apart because they weren't going to let me do my plan. And I went home and that night I was talking to my father about it and how upset I was. And like many things for my dad, he just out of the blue said something that completely threw me for a loop. He was like, eh, you're 16. You just drop out. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? And I thought he was just, I thought he was being facetious, trying to play with me or whatever, and, and trying to distract me so that I would uh, get over it. But he was dead serious. And within a week, uh, we had appointments down at the University of Washington to meet with the counselors there and talk to them about admissions and figure out whether they'd let me in early. And long story short, within 10 minutes into the meeting, they, they kind of reviewed my SAT scores and talked to us both and figured out, they said, oh yeah, just go to this community college for a quarter, take this English class to make sure you're up to snuff for our uh, entrance. And yeah, well, you can come to the UW. I love it. And wow. that's how I ended up at the University of Washington. It was a, it was a very surreal college um, admissions experience. And it was not very actively chosen. It was more reactive, but it was kind of, awesome in its own way and it did let me it gave me a, a new focus to kind of distract me from the uh you know i just left all my friends and everything behind well i was you're gonna go to college you're gonna leave all that behind anyway so yeah right transition so, so how old were you i started uh about um 16 and seven months eight months something like that young that could be a good thing or a bad thing um, yeah i uh, i i got I got the same sort of weird uh, looks and comments from the people in the dorms because I decided to stay in the dorms um, that uh, that I did in at Memorial when I was uh, you know nicknames right I was I was that freshman in calculus that that was that was me um, at <laughs> Memorial um, so I, I hey 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 Spix that's a lot better than Goiter I don't want to hear you yeah right. <laughs> well, is that or Mister Coffee I don't remember who gave me Mister Coffee but that one followed me for a while too. Um, but, uh, and to this day, I'm still an avid coffee drinker, <laughs> uh, <laughs> avid. I could talk to you about roasting beans for, for a long time. Um, I'm a cold brew. I'm a cold brew guy only. That's all yeah. we make in our house. I, I think the taste is just so there's so many more flavors in a cold brew. Mm. Cold brew is delightful. I have, um, a small keg out in the, the garage on nitrous with cold brew. It. Oh, so, that's my yeah. favorite. Yeah, I agree that's, with you. Um, that's my favorite yeah. right there. Like the nitrous one is my favorite. For but, sure. uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can go off on, you know, a dark and light roast of Ethiopian dry process or Kenyan, you know, wet process, whatever. That's, uh, I, I can nerd out on that for a little too long. Well, I want to nerd. I want to nerd out more. I, I've got a question because back when we were at Memorial, you know, Cray and SSI, those supercomputers that they were building, those mm -hmm. were like the fastest computers in the world, right? Yeah, um, they so were. How do those stack up to today's like PC or iPhone? Like, oh, your iPhone's more powerful than the SS3 ever was. Um, wow. it, it's wow. it's amazing. Those big machines. Oh, this is one of those fun things. I so I was in um, semiconductors for. Um, about 16 years at Intel. And it has just been amazing to watch the just unending progress as things get smaller, faster, more efficient, smaller, faster, more efficient. And people uh, don't deal very well with exponential math. When things get twice as good and twice as good and twice as good, you know, it doesn't take very many twice as goods for things to get into the thousands or hundreds of thousands of times. Right. And, uh, and yeah, uh, those 
those big machines, I had a chunk of the uh, disassembled uh, computer from the SS1 uh, or SS3. I don't remember what, what it was, but it was this 10 pound chunk of aluminum from this frame cage that held up all these wire harnesses to hold all the boards <laughs> together. And, you know, the thing probably, you know, fully assembled the, you know, a couple of refrigerators uh, inside. Um, <laughs> and, and like I said, your iPhone's faster. <laughs> <laughs> so the iPhone is faster than like the Cray Research and SSI supercomputers back in the 1990s. That's back in that day. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of amazing. Um, of course, you know, modern supercomputers look like um, well, they look like racks and racks and racks of little bits of silicon that are probably fairly uh, comparable to those little bits of silicon in your in your iPhone. The issue with building a modern fast machine is more about power delivery and heat, uh, getting rid of heat than just about anything else. Uh, and so you want to use the most efficient things you can find. You find the, the piece of silicon, the piece of machinery that adds two numbers together for as few electrons of energy as possible. And oftentimes there's a lot in common with what you think about putting into your cell phone, because that's also a very power constrained uh, piece of hardware and what can be, be done for very, very low power. And so, yeah, you, you end up trying to put bunches of those together, but then you have problems about you want to make sure they can all talk to each other fairly fast. And so they can't be too far apart because it uses power to connect and communicate. So it's all this, this huge nested power optimization problem. And, then these things, um, you know, people talk about putting them under the ocean or in the Arctic so that they uh, can kind of get cooled for free uh, because it's a really big problem is getting rid of the heat on these things. Wow. There's a lot of neat problems that, um, that I got to deal with at, at Intel, a lot of neat optimization problems. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the fun things as an engineer is, is learning to solve what, what the real problems are. And... Um, uh, at Intel, you know, for example, a lot of people would talk about, um, you know, who 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 makes better processors was always one of these fun things. Is it AMD? Is it was it Apple? Is it you know is it ARM? You know, what makes a better processor? And um, the answer was different depending on who you were talking to. And I would always answer with some. Um, uh, I, I was like to kind of poke people in the nose a little bit and tweak them. And uh, my answer was always that the best processor ever made, and at the time it was some some cheap Celeron part that Intel sold that nobody really cared about. And the reason it was, in my opinion, was because it was the processor that had made the most money. Ah, that was the optimization sure. problem that Intel was trying to solve. Intel wasn't trying to optimize for for faster or cooler as well. Intel was trying to optimize for cash. And sure. so anyway, looking for what the, the optimization problem is, can, it's an interesting engineering thing. So, so yeah, supercomputers heat. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, I'm, sure that, I'm sure this is a dumb question, but is that why I'll hear a fan running in my laptop when I'm working on something sizable? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. When um, uh, So uh, a, a microprocessor is... Uh, best in, is a bunch of switches like like literally light switches in your kitchen and if you think about it particularly you know you've ever had those light switches in a room you you have two of them you turn them one on and it turns the lights on you turn the other one on and the lights go off you know mm -hmm. they're kind of the interconnected yes. switches yeah. well it turns out that if you interconnect a lot of switches together you can kind of make them do things more interesting than just turning a light on or off you can answer questions like A and B or add two numbers together or stream Miley Cyrus videos, whatever. The, the point being is that um, each time you turn one of those switches on and off, some energy flows through it to go to your light or whatever it's trying to decision it's going to make. And that energy flowing through has a little resistance and um, a little bit of it escapes as heat. And if you do too much of that in a very small place, it starts to get about as hot as the surface of the sun. Jeez. So you really, you, you really want to get rid of that. And of course, you know, I'm joking. It, it's, you know, if, if it got as hot as the surface of the sun, it would have melted through the computer. But it'll die. Long, it'll melt itself to death long before you get something done. So you got to figure out how to get rid of that heat.
I actually left Intel about five or six years ago. I, I had the same exact problem that a lot of people my age and skill set have. I had gotten really good at solving uh, a set of problems for a group of people that really didn't want me to solve any other problems because I was really good at. It. So, so what you know? Again, back to this analysis. Intel wants to make money, so they want to think of their engineering team as a factory, and they know that that machine very efficiently stamps out processors. So they don't want to get rid of it or make it do anything else. And so as an engineer, you kind of stop growing when you get pigeonholed into something like that. Yeah. And so, so I, I decided to leave and start my own little consulting thing like so many of us do in our 40s. Uh, and, uh, and I started doing software development and uh, web and database stuff and kind of reinvented myself. And... Um, and now I'm actually primarily working with a small company that does a lot of Internet of Things, like connected cellular networks, computing sort of stuff. Um, but uh, but still, I, I'm solving new problems and I'm kind of able to, to grow and do new things and, and play again, which is part of the reason that a lot of us like to do what we do. We were we were the tinkerers and the, you know the who like to take things apart, put them together, and solve the puzzles. And you know we want to find new puzzles. Yeah, you were taking apart computers in 1988. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I don't think I don't think well, anyone who knew you back in Eau Claire would be surprised what you're doing now, right? <laughs> yeah, well, they they might be surprised that you know, like you were saying, they might be surprised uh, about you know the way I I, I look a little different. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, I've got, I think I've got a more um, measured attitude on what's important and balance in my life. Um, and, you know, uh, before COVID, I walked to work every day. So, I mean, it's like that sort of stuff is more important to me now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm still a dork who likes to tinker and take things apart, put them together. Uh, well, I, I tried coming up with a really good tech joke for this episode because of, you know, your industry. And so here's what I came up with. This is, this is, uh, uh, Hoban does not know this because he's not on Facebook, but Andy, when we, Hoban, when we started this podcast, Andy Spix is one of the guys I wanted to make sure that we talked to. And I posted something on Facebook like that. And someone, I think David Garber talked to you, Andy, into getting on just to, to read, you know, what, it, what I had written or something. And because Andy's not, Andy Spix is not on Facebook that often. He's got an account. I think I'd last logged in five or six years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he logged on just to see what I was saying. And he said, uh, Kevin, if you want to get me in for an interview, all you need to do is say my name three times next to your laptop, three times in a <laughs> row next to your laptop, and I'll appear. And so, so Hoban, I've been trying that for the last two months and it, and it hasn't worked. <laughs> and I figured out why it doesn't work. It's because he worked at Intel, and I bought a new Mac that has the Apple <laughs> Silicon in it. Uh, 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 I know a lot of the people who worked on that M1 part. Uh, that's yeah. a team of people, so uh, yeah. I'm fairly impressed with it. You know what? I don't ever hear a fan. That's yeah, for sure. Know. It's good stuff. Um, they they've been again uh, different teams optimizing for different problems. Uh, Intel to this day, I think, has only ever optimized their factory around dollars. And Apple believes they get more dollars from uh, Rockstar part. They get a reputation for something and that that turns into their brand. I guess they, they care more about their brand in the yeah. equation. And uh, I kind of have to agree. I think they've been winning that war for a while, um, if, or battle at least. And uh, so, yeah. I, I'm impressed. As an engineer, I like well well engineered parts as well. So yeah, it's it's sure. good. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the California lifestyle out there, man. What's 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 well? How how's COVID? How's lockdown? What's what's happening? Um, and and are are you in Silicon Valley, Andy? I I'm in Santa Cruz. I okay. I live I live by the harbor, a couple blocks from the beach. Um, it's uh, it's a rough life. Um, the, um, the, 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 the people in, in Santa Cruz refer to what I used to do as driving over the hill because there's this you know, small mountain range, the Santa Cruz mountains between here and Silicon Valley. And it was, it's sort of a derogatory thing. Oh, you're going over there to actually make money. How dare you? Um, but, um, <laughs> but I, I, that's what I was doing when I was at Intel. And then I, 
found something local when I did my own thing. But um, I can't complain. I lived a lot of places growing up. I, I don't think before I moved to California, I lived in any place in my life more than four years. And that's only because Seattle was four years. Every other place before that, the record was two. And it was just random events, you know, parents, job changes, divorces, remarriages, feeling like moving, switching parents. You know, weird situations just resulted in me moving around a lot. And I, um, I ended up in California and I was like, I like this place. I really like it. Like, I think I'm going to put down some freaking roots and stick here. And and so I lived in Silicon Valley area up and down the, the peninsula for a decade or so. But um, my wife and I would find ourselves in Santa Cruz a lot because we always enjoyed going over the beach. It's kind of a, a neat little surf town, um, kind of a little bit of a blue collar feel, but with a little bit of the tech influence and a really great university. Um, coastal California has, um, I mean, you've got, you've got oceans, you've got redwood forests, and you've got mountains and beaches and all this stuff in like you know, five minutes, 10 minutes from you. And so if you're an outdoors type of person, it's, it's amazing. And I wasn't so much of an outdoors type of person before I met my wife. She's really pulled me out of my shell in that regard. But um, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, in in the big scheme of things, I mean, people like to hate on California all the time, right? There's high taxes, there's high cost of living, you know, you know, there it's a fairly influential state in many ways from both the, its industry in the valley and its industry down in the, the movie industry, right? So yeah. it, its weight is kind of felt, and I think there's some resentment from some places on that. Um, and sure, there's image and all that stuff, but overall, my neighbors are cool people. Um, in general, I think uh, most of the people I deal with have a have a fairly grounded attitude towards life, and uh, you know the the fact that it's uh, it was sixty degrees today, and I think it's going to get down to about forty six, forty seven tonight, um, and it's January, um, and uh, I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I feel horrible for you. Marcus. I right, I you know it's <laughs> it, it's terrible, right? I, I think I think the hate that you mentioned, the hate towards California, I think that's just jealousy from the rest of the country that wishes they were in California. Yeah, there, there could be some of that. I, it's, I mean, I'll admit, uh, Seattle was had. I, I really love Seattle. I've been up to Portland a fair bit for for work over the years. I really love Portland area as well, but only in the summers on both of them. You know, you yep, put me there right. uh, in the the gray, rainy, cold season, and it starts to touch to great a little bit. It. Uh, Santa Cruz is that same vibe, except that you get about mm, three or four weeks of gray as opposed to, to the, you know, eight or nine. Any, any <laughs> right. surfing? Have you picked up surfing at all with your outdoor adventures? I don't surf. I do go out um, in a wetsuit and swim every now and then. I I like to body surf on rare occasion, but I will admit the water's a bit cold for me here. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> Where this there's this um, there's this current that comes down from Alaska, and it's like this icy little finger that reaches straight down to Santa Barbara, and for about five to ten miles out to sea, the water is twenty degrees colder than it is anywhere else along the coast. You know, it's, huh. it's just like ah, uh, and then you get to Santa Barbara, and suddenly it's it's beautiful, and I can see why Santa Barbara exists. Um, but the the neat thing about that is you get all this marine life out here, like the, the Monterey Bay where we're located. There's whale watching dolphins and sea, sea otters and just everything out there uh which is is really cool um the um uh, but I, I i personally favor a fair bit of uh biking and hiking through the woods uh it, again the you know hiking through redwood forests is just an amazing way to center yourself and just kind of calm and just feel good about things it's, it's very yeah, I've, I've done san diego i've done la i've done santa barbara I have not done the Redwood Forest. My wife has never been to California. So we actually had 2020 was our 10 year anniversary and we had planned a trip to go out to California for her first time. And we we're going to do it for like two weeks and visit friends up and down the coast. Uh, canceled it because of the yeah. pandemic and all. Um, but uh, yeah, that, so when we do make that trip, you know, hopefully next year, mm -hmm. um, We'll see, but uh, I definitely want to do the redwood forest. That's like number one on my list. Oh yeah, there, yeah. Both the, the the coastal, like ridiculously tall, three hundred foot 
redwoods. The, the, and then there's the more, a little bit more inland, I think, um, towards like gold rush country, there's the giant sequoias that are 30 feet across in the diameter. It's just, there's just some amazing nature out there. I can't do justice to it with my words. I'm, I'm not that eloquent, but it's, it's amazing. And, and I love to experience it and share it with people. Well, I, I will definitely reach out when that trip comes. You should meet up for yes, meet up for a, a beer or something somewhere along the way. Oh, I could talk about beer too. <laughs> Are you a brewer? Are you brewing? I, I, I did. I've done some home brewing. I've done some winemaking. Um, I'm um, not particularly good at either, but um, I actually did a decent IPA. I'll, I'll give myself that. But my wine is distinctly cooking wine. Um, we're very solidly in the cooking wine realm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I enjoy, I, I like making things. I, I think I make a comment about that somewhere on Facebook or whatever. That That's my hobby. You know, find me something new to make that I haven't done before and I want to go try creating it. I, I love cooking and um, woodworking and, and just anything where there's this sort of creative process to go build something or create something new. That's fun. Yeah, I've kind of started getting into that um, more and more uh, in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. The woodworking and, you know, trying, figuring out new little hobbies, things I like to do and things I'm interested in and, um, and, you know, trying to go forward with those, those types of things. You're the guy we should ask. I mean, Hoban and I both have young children. What is the future of technology? Like what... What should we be getting these kids ready for? Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> hey, if anyone knows, if anyone knows, it's me. Uh, um, so I'm not going to be. My normal advice to my family when they ask me for advice for their kids is, I jokingly say, "Well, you should just tell them to drop out of school. Work for me." Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, there's a lot of hubris in thinking that I could answer that question. But, um, I will take a stab at saying that if you want to encourage your kids to be successful, um, teach them to solve problems. That that's it. Find find uh, find things that they don't like about the world and fix it for themselves. Make it better. It's not so much the a particular technology or um, you know skill set. So so at Intel, I, I worked with. Um, you know, a very multicultural group. And you would see that there were engineers from all walks of life. And uh, there's um, a, a large group of immigrant engineers came from cultures that valued engineering as a career choice for wealthy, successful families. It's like like in America, you think, oh, I'm we, we're wealthy, we, we have power, we're going to make sure our kids go to an Ivy League school and become doctors or there are lots of places around the world that kind of put engineers in that same group. We're wealthy, we're successful, we're gonna make sure our kids become engineers. At Intel, those engineers who came from that sort of pushed background were far less effective and successful and adaptable than the people who were clever problem solver tinkerers whose parents said, hey, you like to futz with stuff and make things different and whatnot, and you're kind of bright, maybe you should go into engineering. Those were the people I wanted to work with. Those were the people who were getting hired to go work on the interesting problems. So it, it's more to encourage, um, you know, both creativity and this urge to learn and make shape the world around you. And so, so that's that's my highfalutin answer. Um, but it, it, it's more generally applicable because if I told you. 25, if my dad told me 25 years ago, oh, go play with hypertext and whatever and get an email address, I didn't know what, I didn't know at all what to do with that. But but him pushing me to go take apart computers and, and kind of play with them and figure out how they work, that was totally uh, uh, useful and adaptable to me. That, that, that sort of spark to go create and play with things, that, that was, that served me really well. So, that, that, that's about as Fantastic. far as I'm going to go. <laughs> that was good. That was great. That was great. But I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, what's the stuff we don't know about? Like, is there like a, a bio mm. processor? Oh. Or, you know, is there? Um, so, so that, you know, so uh, if, if, if you were asking me to talk to your kids in high school right now, uh, I would have a slightly different answer. I would completely push them to first off, 
uh, get comfortable with a programming language, I would suggest Python right now because it's fantastically adaptable for just about um, anything you want to do with it. A lot of tools are really focused towards it, and a lot of companies really use it. Um, and go figure out how to use that programming language to um, figure out what data means. And this is this is very generic, but you know, go find some interesting data set that's online. Like, uh, you know, go find uh, the uh, uh, all of the states uh, on Wikipedia and figure out how to figure out their populations, and go try and graph some data of some relationship of the population of the state versus uh, the uh, the income and find the discrepancies. What are the outliers? And try and answer why. And that sort of data analysis and, and data mining is absolutely crux and crucial to the whole push around artificial intelligence and machine learning, which is really the next five years, I would say, of, of interesting technology. It's figuring out how to make the it's, people talk about artificial intelligence, making the machine think. And, and really, I, I don't know, I'd call it thinking, but if it gets good enough at pretending to, to act like a human when you ask it a question, it, it's close enough for you and I. It, it, and and that's, that's all about figuring out how to look at large data sets and ask questions and pull out something interesting. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's where I would say the next five years are you're going to see advancements and you're going to see things like you know, your, your phone being able to answer more intelligent questions. I mean, you already can act like kind of a universal translator. We've got the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in our pocket. Hit a button and it talks for you and answers questions and all that stuff. That's amazing. But in the future, fairly soon, I think you'll be able to ask it more involved questions. Like, um, you guys watch The Expanse? Uh, no. Okay, right. you, 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 or, or Star Trek or, or Star Wars, any of these times where they talk to computers yep. and they ask something really, really general, like, you know, show me all of the people who are working at this place from this year to that year and um, have blonde hair and something and just sort of generic, you know, it might actually be able to understand what you want and actually help you find something. That's the interesting stuff that's going on right now. There's a lot of money and effort around machine learning. Now, of course, going back to our very original discussion about your phone's listening, at least half of that focus is just so that they can better sell you widgets. <laughs> but some of those people yeah, are, better are really trying to do something more noble and more interesting. Why, why is it always advertising? I guess because that's what revenue <laughs> You've got to pay the bills. I mean, you know, yeah. there was an old comic strip i think uh bloom county that i was fond of as a kid and there was this joke in there that you know uh, astrophysicists need lamborghinis too you know it was all about you know everybody wants money at the end of the day right yeah well i always i think back to the the joke i've always heard like what what actually drives the tech industry oh oh, hugely so yeah (laughs) (laughs) because there's money there you know, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the yeah. first places people are actually willing to spend money on something new and novel because you know, yeah, you can't be ten ninety nine a month. Anyway, yeah, this is going to stay family friendly. We'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. Andy, Andy, what was that programming language? Oh, Python. Um, Python. Python. I, I I do a little bit of work in Python. I do more of my work in Ruby, but I can admit that uh, Python is is definitely the the place to push maybe um, another interesting might be uh, R, just the letter R. Um, or that or Go, actually. Now, geez, there's so many of them. But really, uh, Python today is what you might have when you might have recommended C to kids 20 years ago because that was the thing all the companies would care about. Google does everything in Python. So many other companies do so much in it. It's like. Um, uh, you know, everybody had a Windows machine. So if you had a problem with your Windows machine, you could look up online what was wrong with it, and nobody had a Linux machine. Well, everybody's working in Python. So if you got a question about something that's not working, you could probably ask, and somebody has an answer for you. So it's a good start with got it. Are there any other 95ers in Silicon Valley that you know you keep in touch with and hang out with? Any any other Memorial grads out there that you're you're in touch with? I am not in touch with anybody else on the West Coast, actually. I, I think, um, if I remember correctly, uh, Megan Moore ended up 
down in Southern California. And I think April Heine was out in the West Coast for a while, but I kind of fell out of communication with both of them. Um, so I, I don't really know what's up with them. Um, and um, the, uh, I mean, I know Dave Garber is over in D.C., which is a very exciting place to be today. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Poor um, guy. I, I, think, uh, I think Nate uh, is out in Madison, and I'm pretty sure Mike and Chris are both pretty close to Eau Claire area right now. So um, they're, um, those, are the, those are the people I'm really still in touch with. Um, um, was, was Nate a fantastic ballroom dancer? Nate? Was Nate? I, I'm sure he was. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. Nate was a ladies' man who um, he could sing, he could dance, he was uh, charming. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, so I, Nate, I was jealous Nate, of him at a young age. Nate, and I, yeah, I mean, I never knew this until like we were Nate and I were in um, uh, elementary school together at St. Pat's. One day we had a class, like there was like a, a you know fifth grade dance or something and i i swear it was nate legal i'm i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm 90 percent sure it was nate legal like you know kind of a, a a quiet shy kid but then at this dance like it was you know it was a typical fifth grade dance where you have half the room is boys the other half mm-hmm. of the room is girls and there's no <laughs> ab- yeah no intermingling whatsoever um except for nate legal and I, if if it was really nate i i'm almost sure it was nate mm. um i would love to hear that story because he's not brought it up so oh, man <laughs> okay, get so, so it was like it was like you know he asked one girl to dance and she's you know reluctantly said yes because everyone's shy and they go out there and he just starts cutting a rug like he's Fred Astaire. <laughs> <laughs> like I dips. I 100% believe it. I dips and spins and like knew all the steps to like, like a fantastic. And everyone. And then all the girls like lined up to take turns dancing with Nate. And we're all oh. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I have to confirm this story now. That sounds amazing. And I completely believe you. I, I, see, I, Nate, Nate, if you're listening, um, email, email or call in, give us a voicemail. Let us know if that was you, because I'm 90 percent sure it was you. Um, <laughs> my memory's foggy at this. Yeah, age, right. but, uh, <laughs> if not, it's got to be it's somebody that went to high school with us. So if I'm the, if it wasn't Nate, then whoever it was needs to uh, speak up and let us know it was you. You, you went to St. <laughs> Pat's and you were a phenomenal dancer, whoever it was. I'm pretty sure Nate went to St. Pat's, so I, I believe yeah. you were right in that one at least. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Andy, did you say Chris Martins is in Eau Claire? I think he is. I'm fairly sure he's at least in, uh, or maybe uh, Altoona. He's in kind of in that you know neighborhood. He's okay. he's certainly within probably you know uh, half hour of, of the area, um, and um, and I'm pretty sure Mike is too. So yeah, got it. Yeah, Chris was a, a fellow, another fellow man's graduate as well. Mm. <laughs> it's all about the man's with hope. Yeah, I'm really happy to talk. Yeah, yeah he's a good guy. He, he's a fun guy to hang out with. Like I said, we we, we do a D and D game, uh, you know, every couple of weeks. So, so cool. I'll, well, tell I'll, him I'll I will do. Yeah. Do you ever get back to Eau Claire? Uh, I I have a couple of times, but not not that frequently. I um I I. I made it out to Madison a few times more than uh, Eau Claire. Um, I, um, I have uh, not that much of a connection there anymore, aside from, like I say, I, you know, Nate and Mike, uh, you know, I get to see on rare occasion. So, yeah. Um, yeah I'm guessing Mike it's I, changed. Tell Mike uh, I too, Andy. Will do, yeah. Do you think you would have plans to head back for the 30-year reunion? I'm certainly hoping to come back. Yeah, I, I would like to. I, I remember enjoying whatever reunion it was that I went to. My mind says it was 10 years, but you're telling me it was 20 years. So, oh, man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I would love to come back to another one. because it's, it's, it's only a 10-year difference. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, what's, 10 year, what's a decade between the rest? <laughs> um, so the, the latest information uh, in, in the Heather Sessions interview, she's the, the co-chair for the the what was going to be the 25 reunion that could be a good thing or a bad thing that was canceled because of covid 
um, we put the question out there whether or not we should do a 27th year in, in, in 2022 or if we mm-hmm. should just wait to do the 30 in 2025. Mm-hmm. And the results right now, there's, there hasn't been many votes, but the votes are slightly leaning towards let's wait till the 30 year um in 2025 so uh anyone else who wants to vote it's on the facebook group the class of 95 facebook group uh heather sessions posted a poll you can still vote voting is still open and we're kind of going to decide i guess she's her and Lindsay uh are going to decide whether or not uh they should do uh do one in a couple years or just wait for the 30 so do you have any any insight on that would you rather wait for the 30 or I'm game. If there's one thing that I felt from this year, it's that, you know, people are freaking important and you should make every effort to see them and spend time with them and sooner the better for me. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I miss my social contact and the more the merrier. I like that. Well said. Yeah, for sure. More ECM circa 1995 coming up right after this commercial. So that was great to catch up with Andy. What exciting stuff he's doing out there, huh? Yeah, super uh, impressive. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, really awesome. Living I mean, I think I actually understood maybe like 60% of what he said, but that 60% was really good. Like, yeah. I'm just not on the level. I'm not on the level with microprocessors that, that that guy is. I, I was nodding along as if I understood, but I, I really <laughs> A virtual nod. <laughs> right, right. right, right, Andy, right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um So next, our next interview is going to be with Mariah Quinn. Mariah is a medical doctor in the Madison area with the UW system. And she is going to talk to us about the COVID vaccine. She's already had her first dose and it'll be like a week since she's had her second dose when we get to talk to her. Nice. That'll be uh, very interesting and obviously very relevant. Yeah. If anyone has any questions at all, about this vaccine that you want us to ask Mariah, please call us or email us and uh, we'll, we'll have those, both the email address and the, the phone number will be up here shortly. Write them down, let us know if you have any questions. We'd love to uh, ask those for you. And also Heather Glazer wants everyone to know that the poll is up for voting on whether we should have a 27 year reunion or just wait for the 30. So I think the votes are slightly leaning towards wait for the 30. But as you heard Andy said, you know, there's no time like the present. Let's just get those social interactions down. So, you know, whichever way you want to vote, go onto the Facebook group, the Class of 95 Facebook group, and find Heather Session Glazer's post and poll and go and vote. What are you thinking, Hoban? Are you, are you nervous about the vaccine? Or are you like, like me, I just want to get, you know, as soon as you can give it to me, I want it. Um, I mean, I think I maybe paused briefly when, I, you know, when we first knew it was coming out. Um, but I mean, the more I thought about it, it for me, it becomes kind of a no brainer. Like I, I, you know, there's going to be by the time it comes around to us, there's going to be millions, uh, you know, or hundreds of thousands, if not millions of professional healthcare workers um, that have already gotten it. They right. obviously have confidence in it. Um, and, you know, I was, th- this is kind of a, a horrible thought, but, you know, for the most part, people our age, they're reasonably healthy are, you know, are, are, you know, fare pretty well with COVID, but I, I would hate to like not do it, get sick or really sick and be there thinking, Wow, if I just if I just yeah. had got the vaccine, maybe I wouldn't be in this spot today. So I, you know, I I'll definitely get it. I, I want to be able to see people. I want to you know not have to second guess what we're doing. You know, I don't want to have to worry about my parents and other you know more vulnerable people. Um, so when when it comes around, it for me, I, I'll I'll do it. But um, you know, I I, I get hesitation i get some skepticism and you know it is still new and hasn't been around that long so i get all those those feelings um but i I, i'll be all i'll be all in 
Yeah, I, I, I think I feel the same way you do about it. I just, you know, I, I in my opinion, like, you know, all the, the doctors and nurses and the medically trained people who know a lot more about this technology and the way vaccines work and they're getting them, you know, they're, yeah. if these smart people are doing it, then, you know, I'm not going to be the one to be like, oh, well, you know, I know right. more than the doctors. You know? Right, exactly. So, and I mean, this is what we've all been waiting for, really. Yeah, and, and uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Know, that's it. And, you know, even if we're not in that, you know, real vulnerable group, you know, like it just feels like it's, you know. That's what you'd think. But, you know, I've, you know, I've got friends and actually one that I read today that was really disturbing. A uh, friend my our age, um, former colleague of mine, and he posted that, you know, he had it like a month and a half ago and first his kids got it and they got sick first and then he got it and then his wife got it and he had very mild cold and flu symptoms. His wife had severe body aches and still does like a month later. He still doesn't have taste or smell a month and a half later. Yes. Yeah. And so he posted that on, on Facebook. And then there was 20 other of his friends who posted that they've had it and that they are still experiencing symptoms. Yes. You know, yes. and then there's another article I saw. Uh, I read that I think that the, the Ohio State University said something like 30% of their student athletes have like long lasting heart problems from the 30% of the, the student athletes who got COVID have long lasting heart problems from it. Yeah, there, there, there's enough of those stories that make that it, to me, a couple uh, shots in the arm, uh, you know, it, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even if even if it means that we're not going to, you know, even, if, you know, even if we're not going to die, I still don't want to get sick, you know? Yes, right. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, so that'll be interesting, though. It'd be good to get Mariah on and hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, we've already got a couple of questions to ask her. I'll, I'll make sure I get those over to you as well. And uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. So thanks to Andy Spix and to Andy Hoban and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Hey guys at ECM circa 95, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail or a shout out at 715-255-0035 or send us an email at ecmcirca95 at gmail. Thanks for listening. Hey, I don't think this is the right place.